Hey, I'm Dave, and thanks so much for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you are here, and we would love to get connected to you and your family. So one easy way to do that is that you can text the word River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give today to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website, click on the Give tab right at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Matthew chapter number 6, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. Over the last couple of years, each October and November, we've been looking at a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be over the next uh, few weeks for October and November uh, looking at Matthew chapter number 6. Now the name Sermon on the Mount uh, gets its name because Jesus is preaching a sermon on a mount. (laughs) Many years of theological study to determine that, okay? (laughs) Jesus is on a hillside. We don't know exactly which one, but he's on a hillside on the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd has gathered. And Jesus goes away, and he sits down, which was the traditional position for a teacher at the time. And the disciples come to Jesus, and he begins to teach them. If you are a believer, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are the central teachings of Christianity. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're here with friends or family, or you're watching online, and you want to know what are the central teachings of Christianity, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where we find them. And so for time's sake, I I can't go through the entire previous sermon. You can go online. We have those sermons there, and you can kind of catch up. But Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1, a new section, um, uh, kind of a transitional point in the sermon begins. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus uses the word, or as we translate translate it here, is the word beware. It's the idea of watching out, paying close attention, looking out or thinking twice. So Jesus says, beware or look out, pay close attention. If you are practicing your righteousness before other people so that you can be seen by them. One translator puts it this way, practicing your righteousness with the goal of catching people's eye, of getting their attention. Spurgeon says it this way in commentating on this particular passage, He says, to the matter of our intent and design, we must take heed. So Jesus is addressing the motive. Jesus is addressing the heart behind the action, not just the action, but the motive for what you're doing. Spurgeon says, we must take heed for nobody goes right without carefully aiming to do so. So Jesus is telling us we need to be aware of our motives. We need to be aware of the heart behind our action, and we need to be more aware of that than we are aware of potential audience members or viewers or witnesses. I think that we have all seen a little child maybe acting up or doing something they maybe shouldn't do or doing something that's particularly humorous, 
And that child will catch out of the corner of his or her eye people watching. And then all of a sudden, the performance is on. And if you're a parent, you're like, please don't encourage this. But if you're just an onlooker, you have now been sucked in and you're now an audience member witnessing. And that kid just out of the corner of their eye notices you, says, man, I'm going to ham it up for the audience here. Jesus says, beware of being like that when it comes to righteous acts. And the warning Jesus says here, in verse number one, he says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Now that is the introduction of chapter six. And then Jesus gives three examples of righteous behavior. The first is giving when it comes to generosity, money. The second, as we'll look at over the next few weeks, we'll talk about praying. And then a few weeks from now, we'll look at this idea of fasting. Well, the first one, the first example Jesus gives of this principle to kind of illustrate this principle is giving. So let's look at verse number two. Scripture says, thus... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus uses this phrase here, when you give to the needy. Now, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. They would understand a lot of passages from the Old Testament. One they would know would be Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse number 11. Moses is speaking and he says, for there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor. Psalm 41.1, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17, Solomon writes, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So there was a cultural understanding, a cultural expectation, particularly to uh, followers of Judaism, that they would give to the poor. And so when Jesus says there in verse 2, when you give to the needy, when you give to those who are poor... Uh, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Uh, Some historians, some commentators see this as being uh, figurative, meaning Jesus is essentially saying, hey, when you're about to give to someone in need, don't toot your own horn. Don't announce that. Don't gather an audience together and say, hey, just want to let everybody know I am about to do something super kind for this needy poor guy over here. Just wanted to get your attention to see it. Jesus says, don't sound a a, a trumpet. Don't toot your own horn. Don't call attention to the act, as one translation says. Some see it as a literal thing. There would be a time where in the temple, a trumpet would be sound, so a horn, a ram's horn would be blown, and it would signify that there was a time for needy people, that there, there was a, a time for folks to collect money for those in need. 
And so some uh, authors visualize it as you're working in your shop, you're selling things and you're serving and you're in conversation with other uh, dealers and traders and all these different things. And all of a sudden in the distance, you hear the horn sound. It's like, man, I have to stop what I'm doing because people need me. And so they would see that as literally Jesus saying, don't uh, sound a trumpet when you're about to be needy, making everyone go, oh, look at, look at him. Oh, man, he, he loves poor people. Such a sacrificial person, like making a big, dramatic show of it. Jesus says it this way. When you give to the needy, when you care for the poor, when you meet the need of someone who has a need and you have the ability to meet that need, sound no trumpet before you. Don't look to get attention. Don't look to gain an audience. I was thinking some of the ways that we often do this. I mean, if someone walked in today and they walked into the giving box, maybe it was a wife and a husband and they were walking, they were going to put their giving for the day in the giving box and the wife pulls it out of her purse and the husband pulls out a trumpet and plays it in the lobby, we'd all be like, those are some weird people. That'd be very strange, right? We, we would not blow the trumpet. No one is standing out in the lobbies today, standing there blowing the trumpet as you give, right? There's no trumpet sound effect. And if you pull a prank and put one, I'm kicking you out of the church, okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm just kidding. But we, we don't blow trumpets like that. Culturally, it's a little different. But oftentimes when it comes to giving to the poor, we find ways to work it into conversation. So subtly, almost in just kind of a self-deceptive way, someone's talking about some things. Oh, I know those poor people. I was thinking about them the other day, and I thought, you know, I ought to do something. And so I did. I don't, I don't want to brag. I don't want to boast about what I did. I'm not going to tell you the dollar amount, but it was huge. Uh, but I just, that's how much I care for poor people. So actually, we, we toot our own horn that way. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy, and I'm, I'm not, I don't have anyone specific in mind with this application, but, but one of the ways that I see people toot their own horns in church is the almighty plaque. You've seen these things before? Some churches you go into, everything has a little plaque on it. And you know who gave it. You know what year they gave it. You know who they gave it in memory of. And that thing is cemented, superglued, and eternally sealed to that object. I've walked into churches before and I thought, oh, so-and-so gave this exit door. Thank you. Appreciate you doing that. So-and-so gave this picture. That's the ugliest picture I've ever seen in my life. They just wanted that out of their house, right? You'll see churches where there are plaques for everything. And then 30 years will go by, 40 years will go by. No one really knows the names on the plaques, but you can't remove those plaques because that's like removing someone's names from the Lamb's Book of Life, right? I mean, it's, these are serious things. But oftentimes when it comes to giving, well, I'm, I'm going to give that, but I, I want to make sure it's done my way. I, I, I'm going to, I'd like to give, but, you know, that probably warrants me some special treatment. 
I mean, I'm going to give, and that probably entitles me to a say-so. Pastor, do you know how much money I've given to this church over the years? No. No, I, I have no idea who gives what. The only people I know who the specifics of what they give are my wife and I. I don't know who gives. I hope giving and caring for the poor and charitable things and faithfully giving to the church is an important part of your life, but I don't, I don't know if you do that or not. We, we don't have the giving police. We don't have a committee that's checking on that. And so if you give and come sit down with me and say, Pastor, I've been a faithful giver for years and years, and I'd like to see dot, dot, dot happen. No. Because what does Jesus say? Don't give and toot your own horn. Don't give with a demand. Don't give in a way to call attention or give in a way that it warrants an entitlement for you. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. And he says, as the hypocrites do. Now, Matthew uses the word hypocrite quite often. And we misuse it, or we, we've kind of changed the meaning of it in our culture. We use the word hypocrite to mean someone is inconsistent. And, and there's some truth there. But the word hypocrite actually is the word actor. It implies that someone is wearing a mask. They're in a, a play. They're putting on a show. To the Jews, they didn't really have theater like we have. That was a Greek thing. That was a Roman thing. But Jesus says, hey, maybe in Jewish culture, you don't think you have theater, but you actually do. And it can be found, Jesus says here, in the synagogues and in the streets. The hypocrites, and Jesus is heavily implying that this is the Pharisees, the religious leaders and religious people of that day. Matter of fact, seven times in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, particularly chapter 23, Jesus will say to the scribes, Pharisees, he will say, you hypocrites, you pretenders, you actors. He says, you're putting on a show. And so he says to, Jesus says to them, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you trying to gain an audience. So the synagogues in the streets, those were the public places. The synagogue was the center of Jewish life. The streets were places where people would travel and trade, the marketplace, all of those different things. Those were the prime places, the prime public places to gain a maximum audience. So Jesus says, when you give, don't be like the hypocrites, the actors. They bring along a trumpeter. Hey, strike up the band. Da, 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 da. Hey, everybody, I'm here. We had an incredible year in my business. I just want to let you know that humbly. And uh, I just really feel moved by the Lord to care for this downtrodden, poor, diseased person here. You know what? Everybody gather around. Gather around, gather around. Look at his poor condition. And while you're thinking about his poor condition, look at me. How awesome am I that I would sacrifice my money to care for this lowly person? And so you have an actor 
who's putting on a performance for an audience and the poor person who genuinely has a need now has been objectified to become just a prop in a play. Jesus says of the hypocrites, don't be like that. They're, they're in the synagogues, they're in the street corners, maybe literally, maybe uh, proverbially, they're playing the trumpet, they're tooting their own horns. And here's what they're looking for, verse number two, that they may be praised by others. The King James translates it this way, that they may have glory from men. What does it mean to to have glory? It means to honor, it means to praise, it means to celebrate. Jesus says this in John chapter 5 verse 44. He says, when you receive glory from one another. They were looking for this. Wow. And so what they would do was they would put on these huge religious performances. It wasn't about caring for the poor. It wasn't about meeting a need. It was about impressing people. So Jesus says there in verse number two, he says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They, they are getting what they were aiming for. Ken Hughes says it this way. I love this phrase. He says, the truth is they were not giving, but buying. And they got what they paid for. What were they buying? They were buying a reputation. Leon Morris says they were securing a reputation. They were aiming at reputation. That's what they wanted. They wanted people to go, wow, did you see the big gift they gave? Did you see the donation they made? Did you see them? And the hypocrite is putting on a show. There's no compassion for the poor person. There's no goal to bring glory to God. There is the goal in ambition and desire to impress people, to gain glory from people, to gain praise from people, to be celebrated by people, to be talked about. Now, they didn't have social media then, but there's a whole lot of this going on on social media. That's tooting your own horn because the goal and the desire is to impress the followers, to impress the crowd, to impress people, to impress the neighbors, to make people think that we're sacrificial, generous, charitable, all those things. Jesus said, if that's why you're doing it, if that's why you're giving to the poor, meeting the needs of the poor, if that's why you're giving charitable gifts, then you'll get what you desired. You will get the applause of men. And the phrase there literally means paid in full, meaning that's all you'll get because that's all you were hoping for. It's a performance. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, but when you give to the needy. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his followers. He's talking to Jesus' people. 
saying when you give to the needy, because giving to those who are poor, giving to those who have a physical need is an important act as a believer. Giving financial, our, our finances speak very loudly about what we care about. When you give to the needy, when you do these acts, jump back in Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse number 12. Sorry, I said 12. I meant 16. I don't know how I got those connected. So Jesus is talking about the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. So it's kind of this this imagery of bringing light into darkness. Well, what is that light? Verse 16 explains it. So that they may see your good works. Your good works. Spurgeon said there's nothing wrong with doing good works publicly. It's only when we do them for publicity that things go wrong. So Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they'll see your good works. And I want you to see this word here, which I think is really important. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not glory to the one who did the deed. That's what the hypocrites were looking for. They were looking for praise. They were looking for glory. They were looking for attention from the crowd. That's why they were doing what they were doing. But a believer, a Jesus person, someone who's following Jesus, is going to do good deeds, is going to give to the needy with the hope that people will see right past them and right past the gift and see their heavenly father. And they'll give glory to God in heaven. So there's two types of ways to give. And we're going to look at the second here in a moment. The first is, are we giving to give glory to me? Or are we giving, sacrificing, giving charity so that people will give glory to God? Look at verse 3. Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you're going to give to the needy. There's no specific dollar amount or schedule here. But Jesus says, I want it to be such a private matter that even your right hand, uh, your, your left hand is unaware of what your right hand is doing. That's how secretive it is. Now, it's just an expression that we think is original to Jesus. It means that we're not looking for the praise of people, nor are we internalizing that and saying, okay, I'm not doing this for the praise of people, but guess what? I'm awesome. I don't want to tell people that, but I can look myself in the mirror in the morning and be like, way to go, buddy. I can pull out that little book in my heart and be like, October 1st, 2023, that's what I did. I'm not showing anybody this. It's just for me because I feel pretty good about myself. Jesus is saying, um, don't try to impress the people and also don't even try to impress yourself. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is busy doing. Hold your spot in Matthew and I'm gonna show you how this works in the life of a believer. Go over to Matthew chapter number 25. 
Matthew chapter number 25, verse 31. The context is the end of time judgment. People are standing before God. So we see that in verse 31 down to verse 34. So look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? There's kind of some confusion there at the judgment. The the righteous are being welcomed into the kingdom of God. And they say, Lord, that's nice. I, I don't remember that. Like, I don't remember, like you needing clothes or I don't remember you needing food or something to drink. I don't remember when you were sick and I came and saw you and prayed for you. Like, I don't remember you being in prison. I don't remember you being a stranger and me welcoming you. Lord, when was that? Verse 40, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now go back to Matthew chapter number six. Verse three. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. One author said it this way. Do the good deed, make the sacrifice, and forget it. Forget it. Don't be like, I did it. I'm not going to let everybody else know, but I will never forget. I might see that person again and be like, don't forget. Hold it over their head. Jesus says, do it and forget it. Meaning this will become such a habit in our life of generosity where one day we'll stand before God and Jesus will say, man, you were feeding people when you were feeding me when I was hungry and would say, Lord, I... That's great. I'm glad that happened. When did I do that? And Jesus will say, when you did it to the least of these, when you did it to people who couldn't pay you back, when you did it for people that, that, that couldn't uh, say, man, I'll, I'll, I'll do something for you later, man. This, we'll make a trade on this. When you did it out of the kindness and generosity of your heart, you gave and you sacrificed for somebody. Jesus is saying, you did it for me. Verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Notice the contrast. Several contrasts here. One is very public. One is very secret. One is for the crowd and one is for the Lord. One has a temporary reward and one has an eternal reward. Look at the passage. So your left hand and your right hand, so secret that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
We see this repeated. We'll see it next week when we look at prayer. Look at verse number six. You'll see the phrase, and pray to your father who is in secret. Verse 18, we see it there about fasting. But by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the point of this? The point is, I want to meet a real need, but I want to do so for the honor and glory of Christ. I'm not, I'm not pining for applause. I'm not looking to fill a little journal or diary so that, man, I'm reminded of how awesome I am or all the awesome things I've done for people. The act of giving here, Jesus is saying, is for the glory of the Heavenly Father. So here, here's where it comes in. I wrote down a couple notes here. Do we give to bless or do we give to impress? Because the question comes down to who are we aiming to impress? And so much of my life has been to impress people. If I look good in front of people, that's great. That works out well, and, and people won't think less of me. It'll, it'll keep a reputation up. And so, so much of what I've done in my life was for impressing people. Jesus is saying, you have your reward. There's, there's nothing else. Say, don't, don't be like that. Don't be like the actors. Don't be like the pretenders. Don't be like the religious showmen. Jesus said, this is how I want you to give. This is how people who reflect gratitude and, and, and a transformed heart in the kingdom of God give. They give in such a way where it's so secret, they're not making it publicly known. If people see, great, but that's not why they're doing it. And they're not even like taking any like internal praise or, or internal like, man, I'm awesome for it. They give in such a way where the ambition is that God will see and that God will take care of the reward. The Pharisees gave for the applause and the approval of people. Those are the religious leaders. Look over at chapter 5 and verse 20, Matthew 5, 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Please hear me. The Pharisees were way better than us at the do's and don'ts. They were meticulous. They knew all of the rules. And when they couldn't keep the rule perfectly, they augmented the rule so that people thought they were perfect. So Jesus, early on in the Sermon on the Mount, says, unless your righteousness exceeds or is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. People had to be sitting there going, what? Have you seen the scribes and Pharisees? These guys are perfect. They never break the law. What was Jesus illuminating? He's illuminating, that's all a show. That's all pretend. And some of you in here are hearing that passage of Scripture, and I'm praying that the Spirit of God is confronting you because some of you in here are a Pharisee through and through. This is a show for you. 
You put on a show. You want people to think, okay, if people think I'm a Christian, therefore I am a Christian. Therefore I am a follower of God. So it's a real challenge. How can we avoid being a Pharisee? How can we have a righteousness that is better or exceeds the religious leaders of Jesus' day? Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse number 48. Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is speaking here. So what do we need? We need a righteousness from God. We need a righteousness that is not our own because we're sinners. One of the lines from a classic hymn that I often think about is the line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I know my heart is broken and sinful and also so prone to self-deception. Like the, the battle in my mind right now is, am I preaching this sermon so you'll be like, hey, way to go, pastor, or am I preaching this right past you so that you'll hear it, but that God will be pleased? Man, what a battle. We need a righteousness from heaven because our righteousness is filthy rags. Our righteousness, even our righteous deeds, are motivated by self-service, by an ego. I impressed people because I sang that song, or I impressed people because I gave that, or I impressed people because I served that, and, or I impressed the pastor, or I impressed my wife, or I impressed the guys, or I impressed people at the church. We need a righteousness that is far beyond that, far beyond the Pharisees and the scribes. And so what do we need? We need a righteousness from the heavenly Father, and that is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who came from heaven to earth and lived a perfect life, never sinned, and lived always every moment of every day to please the heavenly Father. And he goes to the cross and he dies. That was the plan of the Heavenly Father. That was the mission the Heavenly Father had sent him on. And Jesus rises from the dead. And so he is the righteousness of God. And so we need that. We need that righteousness applied to us. We need that righteousness to transform us. Otherwise, I'll give and preach and sing and fast and pray for self-serving purposes rather than God-serving purposes. My aim will be for myself rather than for the glory of the Lord. And so what is the message of the Sermon on the Mount? It is to run to Christ. It is to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're perfect. I'm not. You know how to please the Father. Can you come and live in me and transform my heart? Believer, you and I have constantly, we, we, we must constantly run back to the gospel. 
We must constantly run back to the good news. We must constantly run back to the power of the Holy Spirit to transform the motives for what we do. Because we often check a box based upon what we did, but God knows the motives behind why we did it. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're encountering the message of Jesus for the first time. The truth is you are loved by God. You are created by God in his image. But we have sinned against God. We have violated his holy standards. And we are rightfully condemned by a holy God. But God so loved us, he made a way. And he sent Christ pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus died taking our sin upon himself. And Jesus rose from the dead. And if we will turn from our sin, and let's call it what it is, our sin is often we try to disguise it as righteousness or self-righteousness. We must turn from self-reliance and self-righteousness and turn to Christ. You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. I'm not. I need your work in my life. And the Bible says if we'll confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's the gospel message. My prayer for you is that if you don't know the Lord, you would repent of your sin and believe in Jesus today. But if you do know the Lord, you're sitting in here, you're watching online, you'll repent of the show. You'll repent of being a Pharisee You'll repent of being a religious actor. And you'll say, Lord, no more games. No more performances. No more living to impress the crowd. I live to impress you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray, God, for those that may be sitting here who don't know you, I pray you'd save them today, Lord. God, maybe there are those here who the approval of people is all that they live for. I pray, God, that there'd be some men and women here today who would repent of that and cease the show. And God, we would live for your applause. We would live for your approval. We would live for your praise and your glory. And all that we do, Lord, we would hope that would draw people to you. I pray that that would be our heart, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.